I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrowed time Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrowed time Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no That's the bottom line that's the bottom line, yeah, that's the bottom, that's the bottom line, that's the bottom Hey guys, Jim Albrick here from The Bottom Line. Uh, wow, I'm so excited. Uh, my friend, my, uh, my buddy, uh, Jason Williams is here with us today, and uh, we've been trying to get this done for quite a while, apparently, my guy's a big shot now. He's very busy. He's got all kind of things going on. Every time I call him, he's running a group of some some sort or another at his treatment center. Um, but, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, my brother, Jason Williams. What's up, old What's up, buddy? What's going on? My How man? you doing, man? I'm doing well, brother. Yeah, listen, we were just at, just before the cameras went on, we were reminiscing a little bit mm -hmm. about when we met, right? And when we met, uh, we met at my dad's wake. We did. And that was a little over 16 years ago. Um, and clearly, you, you stick out a little bit, right? You're, <laughs> Especially in Boston. You're a little bigger than most. Nah, nah, I think we had a pretty pretty good blended crowd over there. But Nah, if I wasn't Bill Russell. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know, for some reason, we didn't have a great interaction on that particular day. It was just like a how you doing, sorry for your loss kind of thing. But... It meant a really, it meant a lot to me, and and I don't. This is the first time I've ever brought this up to you, but it meant a lot to me, and it made me feel uh, a certain type of a connection to you, right? I didn't know anything about you. I didn't know anything about your career. I knew that you were a professional athlete. I knew that you knew people that I knew, um, but I didn't really know anything about you or or your journey, right? I come to learn more about that as time has gone on, but. Um, but it meant a lot that you would take the time out of your day, right, to just come and be there for, for my family. So thank you for that, brother. You're welcome, brother. You got a special family, special, uh, special brothers. Um, I was, me and your brothers shared the same agent uh, in Boston. Yeah. And uh, then we started hanging out with Mark, and everybody had a good relationship. And you know you were close with your dad, and you got a close family. I had to come up and pay my respects. Well, that was very kind of you. And, uh, you know, so we meet on that day. And then I don't see or hear from you again for mm -hmm. a long time, right? Because we're not really sort of traveling in the same circles. Um, but then a few years later, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Penny Marshall, who, uh, who passed recently, um, she and I were very, very close, and, uh, and she knows, like, I'm, like, the sober police, right? right? She, she calls me. Mm -hmm. If she has a friend, and, you know, nobody has had more friends than Penny in a more eclectic group of people from all walks of life, right? She knew people. She knew homeless people. She knew superstars. She knew everybody in between, right? And the thing about Penny was if you were her friend, you were her friend, no matter what. You could do no wrong in her eyes, right? 
And friendship was a very important thing to her. And, and I remember she called me and said, Jimmy, <laughs> listen, I need you to see Jason. And I'm like, what's, what's Jason? And she's like, I, I need you to see Jason Williams. I love him, but he's screwing up. Mm-hmm. And I need you to see him, and I need you to talk to him. And I wish I could say that that was the only call I've gotten from her about many, many people. Uh, and, and, but not everybody was receptive to having a conversation, right? And uh, I remember I reached out to you, and we talked, and, uh, and we had made plans to get together. And we got together down in Miami. Yeah. And so just for, for, for in terms of our, our audience, everybody that I've had in here so far uh, have been people that I know, friends, whatever people that I've shared this, this common bond with. But I didn't know any of those folks in their active addiction. You're, the, you're my only guest so far to this point that I knew in their active addiction, Right. And um, so we made plans. You were in Miami. So, hey, come on down. I'm at the such and such a hotel and come on down and uh, and and we'll we'll hang out. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke to you on the phone, you sounded great. You sounded fine. Right. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'll go down. I'll talk to my guy. This sounds like a good opportunity to have this conversation. By the time I got down there. Maybe you had a few. Mm-hmm. Right. It was Miami. It's the sun's out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're in, you're in the grips. Right. So it's part of a, the daily process is, you know, to, to start fueling up. And um, and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. We're hanging out. And there were some other people there that I, I, I won't mention any of their names at this point. But um, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got you a virgin pina colada. Mm-hmm. And I picked up the drink. And it was not a virgin pina colada. It was an actual pina colada. And I was like, is this dude really trying to take me down? Does he want to party with me? What's no, happening? You were drinking mine. Oh. <laughs> See, yo, you, you forgot. You that got the virgin. See, that was my first I intervention. That was my intervention on you. I gave you the virgin. But you know what? I remember that well. Uh, that was definitely, I didn't know what addiction was at the time. Yeah. You believe it or not, I just learned about treatment when I had to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody talks about treatment, especially yeah. when you're an athlete, yep. uh, when you're a warrior. Yep. Nobody's talking about admitting to somebody that you have a weakness. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do that as an NBA All-Star. You're not. Uh, so I didn't, I was so uneducated about it. You know, I go around talking to brown and, and, and less brown people all the time mm. about addiction because at the black church, where I talk most of the time, mm-hmm. we rather have our son have a go to jail, yeah. son or daughter go to jail, than go to treatment. See, yeah. if he goes to jail, they didn't, he just had a bad day. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if he has to go to treatment, it was the way he was raised. Mm. Right? So yep. we sweep that under the carpet at our church. We don't want to talk about treatment. Mm-hmm. So even in the NBA, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about treatment. Uh, you know, we just didn't do that. So when people say, man, Jay, you think you need help? Uh, that was most likely go see a psychiatrist one time a month. Right. Uh, I had no idea that there was even treatment centers. Mm. You know, that's where we were because you figured I'll stop for nine months a year. I'll go out, you know, I'll play in the NBA, and then the three months was mine to do whatever I wanted to do. Right. Uh, you was the first one, and I thank you, uh, for lighting uh, that pilot light for me. And letting me know, hey, man, you got a problem and some people worry worrying about you. Mm. 
You know, people only worried about me when I didn't play well. But, you know, uh, you got to understand, I lied to my father for years, right? You know, the relationship yep. I had with my father, you had with your father, is that my father was with me everywhere once he found out I, was, I drank. Right. So people don't understand that. I never went straight to play Michael Jordan that night. Right. I, I had to go drive. I had my CDL license, so I had to drive, move bulldozers, and, uh, and I had uh, a construction job. Well, I had to go put corners up. I was the corner man. I wasn't in the middle of the line brick yep. mason. I was all these things I had to do with my father, and we had a bunch of rescue animals. So I would get up in the morning at 5 o'clock, go with my father, work half a day, go to the shoot-around, come back, lay brick, drive tractor trailer, mm -hmm. run the backhoe, and then go back and play Michael Jordan 82 times a year or whatever, right. playing the NBA. Uh, so my father knew at that time I got to keep him busy. Uh, and I was like, but I didn't know nothing of it. I'm a hard worker. So right. I just thought that was the normal way. I didn't ask, you know, the superstars, Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan and Charles Oakley, hey, man, what do, what do you guys do all day? Right. I just did what I thought was, you know. So people always go, Jay, how good would you think you would have been if you didn't have to drive truck and lay brick all day and then go play mm. at night? And I said, uh, probably <laughs> not in the league because yeah. I would have been out drinking the whole yeah. time. So my father understood that I had a problem at an early age, and he understand the only thing I could do is structure with this kid. Yep. Structure, structure. Because without structure, for me, Jimmy, comes destruction. Yeah. So Free time is, is what do they call it? Free time is, is the devil's work. Devil's playground. Right? You know? you know, you talked about the church and sort of the perception, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I think for every parent, when it comes to – that moment of truth, when they find out that their, their child is an addict, right? Um, I think the first thought is, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong, right? Um, I think that in the stigma that's attached to it, right, in all communities, right, is, uh, is real. I spend a lot of time talking to a lot of people about stigma. In fact, we, I was in uh, Marshfield, Massachusetts last week doing an addiction event. And, you know, our events have, a, we, have a, we have a big group of folks who have lost their children come to my events, right? Because the film addresses that issue. And um, we had about 50 people there, and they all bring photos of their loved ones. So it's their children, it's their brothers, sisters, husbands, whoever. And they bring their photos, and we talk about stigma with them in the room. They stand up, they hold up their photos, and I say things like, you know, the next time you look at somebody who is suffering from addiction and you judge them, think about these people, right? They didn't love their children any less. They didn't teach their kids any less right from wrong. They didn't do anything any different than anybody else did, right? Um, and now their children are gone. That's no more Christmases, no more Thanksgivings, no more nothing, right? So I think, you know, as a parent, I'm a parent, and I'm a parent of a person in recovery, right? So I'm a, person, a parent of a person who is an addict. And um, I thought the same thing. And I grew, my, my, my children were raised their entire lives. I've been in recovery their entire lives, right? They've never seen me use. Um, and so I brought them up having conversations with them about the fact that they can't afford to gamble when it comes to this stuff because they come from a long line of people who have never been able to deal with it on both sides of their family, my wife's side and my side. Uh, but still, it's like, you know, I try to explain to people, we're wired just a little bit different. So 
for an addict is the kind of person that sticks the, somebody says, hey, don't put your hand near the stove. Mm-hmm. And they stick their hand over the stove anyways because they just got to make sure. And they burn their fingers and they go, oh. And then they, they stick their other hand over just to make sure. And that's the sort of the difference mm-hmm. between us and whatever a normal person is. Well, the first time I told my father, I didn't tell him, I showed him. So you got to understand, I was 16, 15. Uh, I would go out and I would drink. And then we had drive his car. I had a license at an early age, kind of moved some mm-hmm. paperwork around. So I remember one time I left a bottle of Old English 800. You young guys won't know what that is. <laughs> I, I left a 40 ounce of that in the car half full. And my father came running back. He's a big, heavy set black guy. Yeah. And then dark. And he came running back in the house. He woke me up. He said, man, I was 16. He goes, you drink. And he's shaking me. And I go, what, what, what's the matter, daddy? And he goes, Man, somebody left some, some, some malt liquor in the back of the car, and, and I'm driving. You know, I go to jail for 15 years for that. He always makes mm. up some crazy number. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just looking at him, and I go, he goes, is that yours? And my dad did not play around, so I said, no, it's not. He said, <laughs> Damn it, it must be your mama's. <laughs> My mama is a 60-year-old white lady who never had a drink in her yeah, life, yeah, yeah. Know, and let alone would be drinking Old English 800. But uh, I remember how I, because of some stuff that happened to me at a very young age, that I would drink to numb myself. Mm. Um, and couldn't tell my dad about it, because if I would have told my dad what had happened in my life by someone that was close to our family, mm. he wouldn't be here. Uh, because he would have did something to his brother. Right. So I'm not, that's for another show. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this when I got drafted, I went to the White Horse Tavern mm-hmm. in New York City. And my friend Mike Kaiser, the president of Atlantic Records, you know him, uh, we were kids there. He was the sous chef there. So when I got drafted, I went in there and I was proud and I ordered two, two drinks. Uh, uh, um, I ordered my dad a drink which he would have a scotch, sure. and I ordered me an absolute and orange juice. And I've had one, right? and he had a scotch. He's like, man, all right, man, let's get out of here. Why are we here in the daytime? And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and <laughs> I had another one, and I said, well, here you go, Daddy. I said, this car right here is keys for Mama's car. This is your Jaguar, right? And I go, here goes the keys for your brand-new house. All you got to do is move back in with Mama, uh, and, and we're going to be all right. And he looked at me, and he said, Jason. He said, what's wrong with you? He said, you, you, look, you look funny. You're changing. Yeah. Your personality. Yeah. He said, what is that you're drinking? Yeah. I said, uh, Dad, it's vodka. I, t- yeah. I told you that. Yeah, yeah. And he said, you ain't tell me that. I said, I told you it's absolute orange juice. He said, I thought you meant absolutely orange juice. I didn't know that was. <laughs> I was wondering why you said Absolutely that. orange so juice. So he said, <laughs> he said, oh, man. He said, this ain't no good. We're allergic to this in our family. Yeah. He said, Jason, here you go. He gave me back the keys for the house, keys for my mama car, and yeah. the keys for his Jaguar. And said, man, I won't have nothing to do with you. Wow. And another story is He knew. Started. He yeah, knew. He knew already. He yeah. knew. And another story, Jimmy, is that when we were playing in the NBA, this, this is my dad, what we used to do, I'm an NBA all-star. Yep. I want to sneak out. I don't, shouldn't have to sneak out. Yeah. But my dad would sleep in my home, yep. in my apartment, and we had this big penthouse and had these big 10-foot doors, and he'll sleep closest to the door. 
So me and my brother would put little dots that glow in the dark <laughs> <laughs> on the tile, and we would go step on them. So we, could, we don't want to hear, yeah. and we'll step on them because they was glowing in the dark, and it will sneak out. Then we'll come back in before I had to go drive track the trailer before I had to go play NBA basketball, <laughs> right? So um, I, one day I heard my father going, choo, 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 choo. and I peeked around the corner from my bedroom, and he, was, he saw them lights, and them. So, <laughs> so the next day I came home from the game, he went to the Salvation Army and bought a cot from the Salvation Army and put it in front of the door. And my father must weigh 270 yeah. pounds, and the stomach was weighed out here, and he was sleeping this close off the ground in front of the door so I couldn't get out. You know? And that's the kind of, he knew. But understand now, I'm growing, right? Big, strong man, everybody you know, he used to say, Jason, you know, everybody love you. And I go, what's wrong with that, daddy? Because everybody ain't good. Yeah. Right. So he used to look at me and go, hey, what's going on with my son? I got to keep my son busy. Yeah. You know, I, I'll give you one. Our friend Bruce Willis. Right. So after the games, you know, we would we wanted to be the Nets wanted to be the Knicks. Sure. So the general manager, Michael Rode, president, used to say, Jason. Get all these guys. Get all your friends to come down. Your brothers, you, everybody, come down to the games. And I give put them courtside. And we're so one night I gave Bruce Willis tickets, and he goes, "All right, Jay, you want to go out after?" I'm like, yeah, yeah. So now I gotta understand. The only thing I had to do was finish the game. My dad would be waiting there, and he every time after the game I had to walk up to go get my car. Most of the players would drive up. Yeah. I would walk up and sign every autograph because if you're gonna wait for my autograph in February and it's sure. ten degrees, I'm gonna sign. Yeah, it. yeah. Uh, so, but Bruce is down there waiting for me. So I'm going, ooh, Lord, how am I going to go out with Bruce Willis with my dad right here? So I said, okay. So I said, hey, Dad. I said, uh, this Bruce Willis from Die Hard. And my father said, mm, boy. He said, I've been looking for you. And I said, yes. <laughs> I said, he said, man, you know something? I got to come see you tomorrow. And Bruce was like, okay. And he was like, what your dad talking about? <laughs> my dad was like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll stop by there because you know them eight batteries I bought from, from you? <laughs> said, I put them in that DA bulldozer, that Caterpillar. He said, them, them batteries is bad. I said, Dad, this Bruce Willis from Die Hard movie, that Die Hard battery. He said, oh, okay, Jay, get your ass in the car. <laughs> that was it. Bruce Willis was in the stadium cafe for like two hours from yeah. me. He couldn't even whisper, like, meet me around the corner. Yeah. You know, because he knew there was a problem with me. You know, it was just when I'm Crystal Warburg, when I'm focused, like I've been for the yeah. last four and a half years going mm -hmm. on, what I do here at Rebound yeah. is keeps me accountable. Because look, I get up, I don't have a long clock, I don't have a clock in my house. Passion wakes me up. Yeah. 3.25 every morning. I'm in the gym at 4. I work on myself from 4 to 6. I'm at rebound at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm there until 6.30, 7.30, 8.30 every night. Mm. Seven days a week. Because I understand how serious this is. What you were talking about, this this is a sense of urgency. Yes. We are just talking to two young men. Uh, that's perspective, opening up a place in Nicaragua, yep. right? Uh, and, and, and I like them because of the sense of urgency and the changing the way we work in this field. Right. You know, uh, I've seen people in the last six or eight months here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. You know, the sense of urgency. It's your last, look, 
I might have another run in me, but I don't have another recovery mm. because I know my family is never going to come back to me. I, and they haven't come back to me all the way yet anyway. Right. Yeah. Right? But I know that my close friends, my family, they're all going to turn their back on me. The boy that cried wolf, I'm telling mm -hmm. you, I could do it. I can do it. Look, I've had uh, a tough life. Most of the stuff because of my recklessness. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, you know, uh, my sister was stabbed 17 times, beat over the face with a hammer and be the first woman to catch the AIDS virus in New York. Mm. All for $2 to rob by a junkie. Sergio was his name. And then she shared needles with my other sister, and my other sister caught AIDS, and she died. Then I have another sister who's so beautiful. She married an alcoholic. We didn't like the guy. He came home, had a bad day at work, came home and shot my sister in the face and killed her. Mm. Then he shot himself. I, some almost 20 years ago, was recklessly showing shotguns at my house when I could have been showing Picassos or paintings or anything else. Didn't even see Mr. Christophe, who was a limousine driver, was hired that night. Didn't even know he was in the house, had 12 people in the room, and the gun went off and killed them. We instantly called 911. I panicked, and I was a coward. I ran, I jumped in a pool, didn't know where I was at, and Mr. Christophe died. I didn't go to jail for the accident. I went to the jail for really the cover up. Mm -hmm. I was a coward then. And I under myself, where was I in my life that I had to have 12 or 13 people in my bedroom showing them guns? Mm. And you know where that comes from? The insecurities that I had. That comes from, you see these players, the professional athletes, or somebody carrying a gun into a club. It, Nobody's getting robbed coming out the club. We spend a lot of money. The security's always yep. there. And we, we keep guns. I would never touch a gun again in my life. But back then, we kept guns, not for when I walked outside the club or walked into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I kept a gun because the crew, that my original crew that helped me out, the, the, the Mike Kaisers, who's the president of Atlantic Records, the Danny O'Shea's, uh, the... the uh, 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 Joe Ionella, who's now the president mm -hmm. of CBS, Danny Mizells, yep. who's the uh, the president of NBA content, all these guys who used to feed me the ball and say, Jay, you're going to be good for us now and soon. We'll be good for you. Right. When I kicked them to the curb because they told me to go home early and I got these new cats and these new cats brought in some more cats and then they will learn your inner secrets. Mm. That's why an insecure man will have guns in his house or have to show somebody because you're showing the chumps that you with, the chicken heads that are yep. eating off of all the stuff that you drop. You're showing them that, hey, man, don't mess with me. So that's where I was. Mm -hmm. So at Rebound, I use that because I'm a warning or an example to some folk in recovery. Some people on both. So I know one thing. First thing we got to do is build your self-esteem. Right? We got to build your self-esteem. We were talking this before. Curtis Martin, Hall of Fame running back, teaches Bible study. Today, he taught it today for us. You know, Love Curtis. And, and, and you know Curtis. Love you know, him. We've worked with Curtis. Yep. Curtis does more. He's the best human being. Yep. He saved my life along with you, 
Chris Mullen, Chris Heron, Charles Oakley, Curtis Martin, all you guys played a role in it. And what we have to do is find your purpose and your passion. The skills and abilities that you have are going this way. The needs of the world are going this way. Where they intersect, that's your purpose. That's mm. your passion. I found my passion right now. I can go back. Bill Chanichek, one of the owners of the Marlins and KKR, one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. Yeah. I can go back and coach at St. John's. I can do other things. Yeah, sure. But I won't be sober. I won't be having as much fun. I can't teach a kid a damn jump hook when I'm helping somebody else help me save other people's lives. Right. That's what gets me up in the morning. You know, we got a bunch of things going on. And, and, and when you call me and you always say, Jay, come down and do my podcast, I ain't lying. <laughs> I, I'm with my teammates. We yeah. don't call them clients. We call them teammates. Right. I'm with them seven days a week. Right. And I need them as much as they need me. Sure. This whole big industry, unless we start getting some technology that's coming, that can put you in there and show you what part of the lobe of the brain that works that, and what part needs help and where we specifically need to get help, then this industry is going to keep on not doing well. Right. Because our success rate in this industry is low. We can't have 80 people in a place, put them in a bubble for 30 days, and then release them and go, okay. Because as soon as they get to the airport, Warburg, they smell some beer, they don't know how to process it, they've been locked up 30 days, their flight's delayed, they're going to drink it. Yep. Here, we travel, you know, my teammates come here with me, they go, we, we, we go bowling where there's alcohol. We go to movies where there's alcohol. We went to the gym yesterday where there's alcohol. And then when we think that we're getting triggered, we have a group about it. Right. So it's life application, right? And then we're building self-esteem. We're getting into the gym. We're teaching people a commitment to their routine, right? Mm. What we were talking about, commitment to their routine, getting up early, you know, uh, 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 making your bed, simple things. But... You just told me before we started this show, you said, Jay, you guys throw people out of airplanes uh, at, your, at rebound. I said, yeah, uh, rebound, we throw you out of airplanes, we put you at the bottom of the ocean because we scuba dive, we get scuba dive certified, we wave run, we hydro board, we golf, we tennis. It's, you know, it's a difference when me and you sitting here BSing right now yeah. and, and, and you're the psychiatrist and I'm the patient, right. I could be anybody I want. Right. But when I bring you up 13,000 feet, and I'm about to kick you out that door, and you about to, you know, I see a different reaction, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And then we can work on that. Right. Now when you get to the ground, it's, gratu you know, you, it's gratification that, look, I jumped right. out of a plane, right? Uh, we see somebody miss a three-foot putt. It's a different reaction mm. than me sitting in there for 10 hours in a place. You know, I know people do the best they can at these sure. centers, and they've got some great centers out there, but even the Constitution needs some tweaking right yeah. now. And we can't do the same thing we've been doing for 45 years. Mm -hmm. You can't put this young man right here uh, who probably can do all this on a computer and everything else, and he needs instant gratification because he don't know what a psychopedia is. Right. Well, the truth of the Google matter is. is. So he gets up yeah. in there, right? He needs it to go quicker. So we don't have groups sitting in under this, under the roof. You don't go to Florida to have group under the roof. Right. You go to Florida for the blue skies and the crystal water and the 80-degree weather. Mm. So we have our groups on the way here from F Jupiter to you out here in Fort Lauderdale. We have it in the car. We, you know, we have it because time is everything. You can manage time, you'll be the wealthiest man in the world, right? Yep. Uh, you know, what Amazon, 
You know, you don't, uh, Steve Jobs. You know, my dad used to tell me all the day, he goes, boy, your health, if you have your health, you have everything. He said, Steve Jobs, you know, if, if he had, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he would give back all them apples just to have his health. And I don't know if he thought apples was apples or <laughs> apples was computers. Right. You know, but he knew for me, and to get back to my dad, he used to dribble with two hands at basketball. He go, Dad, I got a big game tonight. And he go, what, basketball? I go, yeah, that's my job, Dad. Yeah. You couldn't talk to my dad any yeah. kind of way. And, and you got to talk real low. That's sure. my job, Dad. And he'd be like, what, basketball? He dribbled with two <laughs> hands. That ain't no job. That's basketball. You know, but he knew it was a job. It was a respectable job. He just knew that I had to stay busy. And that's what I do. Let me tell you something. I take a flamethrower to a lot of these places. And I, me, my business partner, Sean, this evening, our group, our people, we are passionate. We don't punch no clock. We get people better. And, and if you don't know where to go, if you can't come to rebound, and I'm not here pitching rebound, call me. Call you. Let's, let's shop around because everything ain't for everybody. Right. You can't. I don't have the same problem that an 18-year-old does who comes in with his hat on backwards, who went down from Huntington County to Newark and, and copped some dope, and all of a sudden he's a gangster. Right. Right? It's those kids that come down with their hat on backwards and walking like this that, you know, we kick him. Oh, we acting like we boxing, and he got the mitts on. Oh, sorry. You know, and he's like, whoa, <laughs> this is going to be a different kind of program. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? Uh, I better turn my hat around. I better clean myself up. I better get ready to get mm. going. Because people say, Jay, you stay in Florida doing what you're doing, and you're damn good at it, but you're deflecting. Yeah. They said, because you're scared to go out in the real world. And that your program is the most successful program because you handpicked your people. Let me tell you something. I do interview the people, and I want to speak to their, their loved ones to make sure. sure that everybody's on board. 